Hello and welcome to Learning from Legends with me, Peter Switzer. And this week's guest is an absolute legend of small business and entrepreneurial history. His name is Vern Harnish, and he was the founder of the Worldwide Association of Famous Business Builders called the Young Entrepreneurs Organization, or YEO, which nowadays is known as the Entrepreneurs Organization, mainly because those young entrepreneurs have actually got older. This group had some of the most well-known entrepreneurs on the planet go through its corridors of knowledge and power, and many of them learn a lot from Vern and his legendary book, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. This was followed up by Scaling Up and his latest book, which in which he tells us more about how you scale up and how your business can really grow. If you're in business or you'd like to be in business, sit back and listen to how some of the greats of US and local business have built up their operations into global success stories. Welcome, Vern Harnish. Vern, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm glad to be with you, Peter. And by the way, we've got a new book out, Scaling Up Compensation. Just came out July 2nd, and it's really a hot topic right now, at least here with all of the, the battle and war for talent, both to attract and retain. So we've been really digging into that largest expense and how do you make sure you turn it into a strategic advantage? Okay, so my, my plan is to position you for people who have been living under rocks for most of their life and don't know you. Um, <laughs> and then we're going to talk about the new book uh, after we set the scene of, of, of what you've discovered over the time. Because I would make the, the point, that you're arguably the most influential mentor slash business coach in the world. Um, sure, there are rivals out there like Anthony Robbins and people like that who come from a different point of view, uh, inspiration as well as you know trying to help people in business. But you've always been entrenched in trying to develop entrepreneurs, and I think um, particularly with uh, the YEO and then Entrepreneurs Organization, you've created some of the most famous entrepreneurs, at least in this country. And I'm sure you'll tell us about some of the, the US alumni of your group. But why don't we just kick off this way by asking, why have you had a lifelong interest in entrepreneurship? You know, uh, the short answer, Peter, my dad was a rocket engineer. He and three of his buddies launched a rocket of a company uh, and it ended up being a riches to rag story. Uh, super successful, and then he lost it all in the 73 recession. And uh, we ended up selling off everything we could to try to save the business, couldn't, and he never really recovered from it, Peter. Uh, the damage it did to him, to our family. And so really, this is a very missional thing for me. I, I just don't wanna see any other entrepreneur or family go through uh, what we went through. Uh, and thus, this is coming on my 40th anniversary of, you know, helping entrepreneurs out there in the marketplace. Yeah, so can I ask you this question then, Vern? Um, have you over the years thought to yourself, okay, there are small business owners who ultimately, you know, start a business and they hope to be successful, but then there are those who just never make it being successful. They may have a business that survives or a business that might struggle. Do, do you differentiate between, say, a small business owner and an entrepreneur? We do. Um, and that's the name of the, the company scaling up. Before that, it was Gazelle. So we've really focused on companies that choose to grow. And in the United States, 76% of all the companies, the only employee is the entrepreneur. And we often joke that those so many of those companies are overstaffed. 
Uh, and so we're really focused on those that have gotten up to having a team, have gotten over the million dollar mark, which is the criteria to get into uh, EO, and really then want to scale in some 10x way. It could be revenue, profitability, time off, uh, impact they want to have, but have got that kind of growth or exponential mindset. Yeah. Well, I will ask this question um, because I'm, I'm going to focus on, on what, you, what you've learned about entrepreneurs over the time. Mm-hmm. You've, you've hung out with lots of entrepreneurs, but it, is it really true that George Bush Jr. once said, the French entrepreneurs, they haven't even got a word for entrepreneurs. <laughs> I know, isn't it interesting it's, that it is a French term, that, that <laughs> undertaker or undertaking. Uh, and, you know, part of launching ACE, one of my goals was to get President Ronald Reagan to be the first president to ever utter the word entrepreneur. No, no U.S. president had even said the word, Peter. And we did. And I got invited to the White House. And uh, kind of the rest is history. So we're a fairly new phenomenon in terms of focus in the United States. Okay, so let's just go through um, the idea of the Young Entrepreneurs Organization. Where did that come from? And I've always presumed the reason why you you changed it to the Entrepreneurs Organization is lots of the people who were in the group weren't young anymore and therefore they were entrepreneurs. But explain it to me. Yeah, well, you're right. So you had to be under 30 initially. And what it was for the Association of Collegiate Entrepreneurs is really a publicity stunt. Uh, I contracted with the great John Naisbitt and his technologies to see if we could identify the top 100 entrepreneurs under the age of 30. And we're talking about the list was first released in 1984. And on that list was Steve Jobs and Michael Dell was just coming on the scene and Mark Cuban, and many of the the, the entrepreneurs that we know well today in the United States. We then did the list the next year for 85. And Steve Steve Jobs had been fired that year. And we had a huge debate whether we ought to include him, but he had been CEO for part of the year and he was still under 30. And so ultimately in 1986, at the Bonaventure Hotel in LA, I hosted the first public speech Steve Jobs gave after being fired from Apple, from having his baby ripped from his arms. And remember we had about 1200 young entrepreneurs in the audience. I had Michael Dell and Mark Cuban and Kevin Harrington and all of these other great young entrepreneurs sitting there. And I then threw a party for him that night and Steve actually stayed. And I remember him standing over in the corner though, corner by himself. And I turned to my perpetual vice president, Greg Stam, the treasure hunter, I said, Greg, look, we need to form an organization for the Steves of the world. And I recalled a, a line of my mentor, Joe Mancuso, who said, it's okay to be independent, but no reason to be alone. And so it was that night that the idea for the Young Entrepreneurs Organization with birth, it took me about a year, Peter, to get the money raised and get everything in place and all that. We did our first formal event then in 1987. And so we're getting ready to have our 35th anniversary as an organization next year. And so a lot of those young guys, uh, like the Cubans and the Dells and whatever, do they, they maintain an association with you or have they gone on to other organizations that are linked to, to uh, EO? Well, so exactly as you described it, you had to be under 30 until we all turned 30. 
Then we raise the age to 35, then to 40. And then we like, you know what? Let's just get rid of the age limit. It's ageless. Uh, and so we actually have an initiative. I, I've stayed in touch with Michael Dell, for instance. He had me coaches, his son. I just exchanged an email with him a few weeks ago. He, his deal got named the deal of the decade where he took his company private and back public. I put 50 billion in his pocket. And he's got a new book coming out October 5th. So I'm, I'm begging him to let me do a fireside chat with him. We'll see if I can get that worked out. Uh, but no, I've had a chance to stay in touch with um, many of them over these years. And EO now is working on an initiative to invite them back in kind of a lifetime membership with EO. So we want to keep them in the fold. Yeah, well, very good reason to. Now, um, let's just talk about how you actually grew uh, the entrepreneurial organization, because you, in a sense, help yeah. other people grow their businesses. What were the early challenges for you to grow uh, YEO? Yeah, well, it really came back to what Regis McKenna taught me. So Regis was the marketing guru to Steve Jobs and Intel and Genentech. And I'm this student at Wichita State. And I thought, you know what? Hey, he's good enough for Steve. Helped him get to $2 billion. Um, so I reached out to him. Uh, he, tell, he kids me today. I, I was his only free client he ever had. And he said, all right, I'm going to teach what I taught Steve, which is first, marketing is what's critical to scale. And so first you have to have a marketing meeting, one hour, and then you've got to take a piece of paper out and you've got to make a list of influencers. And that's when I wrote down President Ronald Reagan and Steve Jobs and Michael Dell and Inc. Adventure and worked that list. And we were global in 36 months. So when I launched YEO, I said, you know, I need to do the same. So I bolted on. So I launched this executive program, Birthium Giants. Now, if it had been YEO's executive program, Peter, I would have been lucky if like four people showed up, but I bolted on the MIT brand and the Inc. Magazine brand, and we ended up with 800, over 800 that literally came out of the woodwork, full page ads donated by Inc. Magazine for the 48 seats. Uh, and many of them went on then to found YEO chapters or then EO chapters. So the key has really been to bolt on influencers or other brands mm. to scale your brand. It's like adding a celebrity uh, endorser that can really rapidly accelerate your growth. Yeah, that, that's a really good lesson for, for lots of people who do want to build their brand. Because <clears throat> in, in many ways, you know, when you think about it, you know, you, you have a really good idea, but you just have to open up the eyes and the ears of potential customers. And having an influencer is something we've noticed that young people today using the internet have been really yeah. good at. But in your day, it was it was really important. I think probably the, 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 the unifying characteristic between what you did then and what young people are doing today using the internet and all the social um, media platform is what I was taught by um, Edward de Bono, that the great ah. performers of the world think outside the square. And, yeah, and sure. I thought that, you know, when I interviewed him many years ago, and he just said, Peter, no matter what, what, no matter what you try to get it down to, successful people, whether it be entrepreneurs or politicians or musicians or actors, they do something outside the square to give them that magnetic attraction for, uh, for what they're doing. And I think that's a really important point. Yeah, good. And and by the way, I, I feel like it leads to I'm writing a new book 
around what, what should a, a CEO, an entrepreneur really spend their time doing all week? And the number one I'm convinced is measured not in minutes, but hours spent every day talking to, or if you can get safely face-to-face when you can, with these influencers, those reference clients, those right potential partners, the, the right relationships, because that's really how you scale is by bolting on the right employees and contractors and suppliers. It's, it's about relationship yeah. and spending time working that list and maintaining those contacts is the number one job. And that's what allows you to really accelerate your growth. Well, one interesting thing, which I think really ties in with what you're on about, is that many years ago, I emceed, um, um, who, who was the guy who wrote? Uh, Michael Gerber. Uh, Michael yes. Gerber came to Australia. Uh, yeah. Of course, that great book, E-Myth. Um, and I met one of his coaches here, who then became our coach. And, you know, and they had a big influence on the growth of our business. If we didn't have Leslie Angramoldi as our, our coach, we would never have done what we achieved. And clearly, that's just sort of the lesson you've taken to your, your entrepreneurs who, who you've yeah. mentored over the years. But the, the one thing she did one day was create a marketing plan for us. And she mm. said, the one thing you've got in your advantage is that Peter can ring up people and open up doors and get marketing managers to come and have lunch with him. Yeah, so that was a, I thought this is a great idea, you know, a marketing plan where I can go out to lunch. But they all agreed, both the, our coach and my family was, but one thing, you can't drink at lunch because you have to listen. You have to listen <laughs> and come back with reconnaissance that we then will use to pitch to the marketing people. But it, it was, was a great marketing plan and it worked a treat. Well, and the other reason you can't drink is you really ought to have a second lunch and a third lunch scheduled that day as well, if you've really done it correct. And by the way, Peter, you know, I consider you uh, on that list of a broader list of influencers, and you've been so kind to mention me in articles and other folks that you've interviewed and the like. And, and in fact, it was that uh, that I, re- I noticed and reached out to you and that's what resulted in, you know, us doing another event here together. So I really appreciate your influence uh, and relationships that we've well, had over the years. Yeah, well, you know, Australians are like, Vern, you've got to know us over the years. I've got to say to you, if you were crap, you wouldn't be getting a run, but you are not yeah. crap. You're a, you're a very good influence and a very good educator of people in business. And I think that's just a critical point. There are a lot of great hard workers just need that insight so they do think outside the square and come up with something absolutely fantastic let's have a look at some of the 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 books that you've written in the past and and tell me what was really behind the messages so the first one was mastering the rockefeller habits and for australians at the time we all knew who rockefeller was but we didn't realize you know how influential he could be on our own businesses so just take us back to why you wrote this book in the first place. Yeah, well, so I launched YEO and I figured it needed an executive program to really answer one question. There are tons of material on how to start up. You know, today we have a startup incubator on almost every corner of the planet. And then I've got an MBA that's supposed to teach you how to run a big company, a grown up. But there really wasn't the parenting manual, Peter, on how you actually scale up that startup. 
And so I said, that's the curriculum that we're going to figure out over the next decade. And I moved about a thousand pretty well-known entrepreneurs through that program. And a, a decade later in 2002, it was time to codify it. And so those ideas that had germinated at that MIT program, I put in writing, then I just needed a name. And uh, one of my students slash clients, uh, actually wife suggested I read Titan, John D. Rockefeller's biography. And it was interesting as a young entrepreneur, you know, he launched in his twenties. Um, he was practicing exactly what we had discovered and learned from other successful entrepreneurs that was necessary in order to scale. And I thought, hey, I'm gonna bolt his brand onto my brand. I could have called it the Burn Harnish habits and I don't think it would have got any place. But, you know, the Rockefeller habits, um, it caught some attention and I think it created a sub-brand uh, out there in the marketplace. You, you know, I, from that book, uh, there are many things I remember, but the one thing that we actually introduced into our business was the daily huddle, yeah, which was something I'd never come across before, before I read your book. And Rockefeller himself was into that kind of thing, didn't he? And did, did he used to walk to work with his business partner and they would talk all the time? Yeah, yeah that was the thing that struck me is that he – it was so, so insightful at such a young age to realize that he and his brother and his three partners would walk to work and then walk home at the end of the day in Cleveland. In fact, I just got to see the Rockefeller head, headquarters just a few weeks ago. I'd never seen it before there. And he discovered that's when all of the real good decisions were kind of talked out. So when he moved to New York City and built Standard Oil's headquarters, he said, hey, let's continue those walks and talks, which by the way, a hundred years later, that was the exact same thing Steve Jobs did. Steve was famous for his walks and talks. And like John D had lunch every day, every day, Peter, with his nine directors. A hundred years later, Steve Jobs had lunch every day with Jonathan Ive. And when I hosted uh, Nate, one of the co-founders of Airbnb, uh, a few months ago on one of our summits, Nate shared that when the pandemic hit and they lost a billion dollars worth of bookings like overnight. He said the first thing they did as a senior team is not just meet five days a week. They went into a daily huddle seven days a week in order to power through it. So this habit uh, is still so vitally critical. What's interesting is our key competitors have all downplayed this because on the surface, it sounds impossible, but we're talking about a bathroom break, 15 minutes, 10 minutes. In fact, I'm going to be dialing into Brian Scudamore's on Wednesday. He has scaled multiple brands with uh, his well-known daily huddle. Um, but once you do it, that every minute you're in that daily saves you 10 minutes. So a 10-minute daily huddle saved everybody over an hour and a half. There is no better ROI on your time. Plus, if you want to move faster, you have to pulse faster. Yeah, I, I know because of the we're, we're in a lot of lockdowns here. I'm sure you would have yeah. heard about that. And so the consequence, sure. uh, our financial planning business, our financial planners are working from home. And yeah. my wife, Maureen, who is CEO of our operation, she does a town hall meeting every morning and yeah. every afternoon. And it only goes about 15, 20 minutes. But yeah. I, I would say she will not depart from when they all come back in the office. I think she will maintain those. Yeah, good, good. And by the way, 
the, the real great companies do do it twice a day. John D. Rockefeller did it twice a day. Goldman Sachs twice a day. T. Boone Pickens, rest his soul, took 2.8 million and turned it into 4 billion. And he credits his quick huddle twice a day for doing it. Okay, so let's go quickly to the greatest business decisions of all time. But why don't we give you give me the best one of all of those ones in the book? Which one do you think is a real standout one? Well, look, I I had we didn't put them in order, but I had my top five, and the number one business decision, which ties back to the my latest book, was Henry Ford deciding overnight to double wages. Yeah, because he was having a labor issue. He couldn't get it. He couldn't attract and keep enough people who wanted to come to Detroit to build his cars. Plus, he needed to create his own consumer. So he was really the first business person to treat people like an investment, not a cog in his manufacturing wheel by making that bold decision to double wages. By the way, I actually credit that decision for actually powering what has become at least the economic uh, miracle of the United States. Mm, yeah. Uh, there's a great uh, Netflix uh, documentary on Ford. Uh, mm. And it's really, anyway, anyone in business should actually see that one. Now, let's go to the, 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 the one you wrote in 2018, namely scaling up how a few companies make it and yeah. why the rest don't. In a nutshell, what was the, the revelation of that book? Well, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits, Peter, was really an execution book. Uh, but there was also this, these issues around people, around strategy. In fact, Michael Porter said the number one job of a, a CEO is to set strategy. And if you don't get that right, then you're going to waste all this execution time. And then you can get by with decent people, decent strategy, decent execution, but not a day without cash. That's what my, happened to my dad. And so we decided just really to expand on the Rockefeller Habits, which is why we call it Rockefeller Habits 2.0, and add these other really important components to scaling. And it's really like a four-legged table. You're only as strong as any one of those legs, and they all four have to be there. So we restructured it, uh, added some people strategy and, and cash tools, and um, it's done well, over half a million copies. Our 23rd language in Farsi, I just got a copy of it from Iran. And uh, we've been happy with the, the number of companies it's helped. Because, you know, clearly people ask me that kind of question, like, what do I have to do to grow my business? And, yeah. and, and a simple answer, I always say, well, I think in, in anything in life, you need an objective set of eyes. And I, I say, you know, try and find a really good business coach. That could be a starting point because a business coach, a good business coach, would do a lot of the stuff that you suggest in scaling up. You know, is the objective set of eyes, the creating of systems to, to take away frustrations, all those sorts of things come from, you know, being in the right company. Yeah. Well, and I should have, you know, it really came from a pretty simple phrase. you got to have the right people, which is people, doing the right things, strategy, right, which is execution. And then you got to make sure you don't run out of cash. So that's really in a very simple, you know, way to explain it, why we put it in those four buckets, even though, you know, business is not organized that neatly. Mm. Uh, so let's go to the latest book. Give us the title again and, and work us through what, what the, is the advancement on, on your previous book, Scaling Up. 
Yeah. Well, it's really a deep dive, Peter, into just a narrow topic, uh, scaling up compensation. Now, it's only 122 pages because we wanted to do a mini book on that critical topic. And, and the subtitle, I think, describes what we cover there. It's the five design principles, and you really have to design your comp scheme. And I got to tell you, most entrepreneurs, it is a mess. You know, they piece it together as they hire folks. And, you know, three years later, you look back and it's like, whoa, there's no rhyme or reason. So it's five design principles for how to turn your largest expense, and for most companies it is, into a strategic advantage. But look, let's let's say it even simpler. Um, it's clear comp doesn't really motivate anybody. Uh, hopefully you've hired motivated people, but compensation can quickly, if you don't get it right, demotivate people. It can crush their morale and spirit. And so ultimately you wanna get it right and out of sight. Uh, but because of the pandemic, we've seen all the research and we, we've, we see it in a practical sense. Compensations come to number one in terms of what employees are caring and talking about. Yeah, it's interesting. I do remember Beth, I interviewed Jack Welch many years ago and uh, and also Jack Daly, uh, guys who I'm I'm sure you know. I think both of them have said, most people want money. You know, other things can work. And I know in the modern world, we're we're, we're told that younger generations really like the tribal association of their their college. But if you're not paying them good money, eventually all the the table tennis tables in the world and pizzas and beanbags ain't going to work. Yeah, yeah, you've you've got to, you've got to get it right, and and I actually see Peter compensation as the other side of the same coin as pricing. So it's just pricing internally, and as we've been really pushing over the last twenty four months, and particularly with inflation uh, really coming on, uh, I see entrepreneurs kind of spend as little time setting price as they do compensation. Yeah, they're two of the most important strategic decisions that if you can get it right, we see hundreds of percent profitability improvement to the bottom line, not just a few. And that's why they're such critical uh, topics. Vern, if someone's listening to this who's starting a business or thinking about starting a business, what would you say to them about what you would recommend they do from the outset to put them on the road to success in business? Can they get in that scaling up growth situation? Yeah, well, so Google Dave Rogan Mosier Growth Institute. We actually did a little case study on Dave who had founded two other companies and it wasn't easy. And that's what we wanted to do is try to make it easier to scale. So he took our tools and over three days, he did four things. And those are the four things you can do over a weekend that allowed him in the next five years to go from startup to 14 million ARR uh, a year. First, make that list of influencers and work it. So he did, he made a list of 50, didn't know anybody, but he found one guy who did. And in this case, he gave him 1% equity, which is a rounding error, but that guy introduced him to 30 on that list. The 30 got to the next 18 and the rest is history. So make the list and work it. Strategy really is about owning a word or two in the minds of the market. 
And he said, you know what? We want to be the company that provides social proof. So we own two words. You want to scale up, scaling up, we're the company. I've got the book. Uh, you want to search, go to Google. You want a safe automobile? It used to be Volvo. So decide what word or two you want to own. That is how you start strategy. Execution, it comes down to setting one priority a day, a sprint for your team for the week, a quarterly priority, and then what is it we've really got to accomplish over the next 12 months? And if you can get clear on not the five, not the three, but the one that's most important. And then when it comes to cash, there is figuring out how you can get the customer to fund you. So final story, Dave said, all right, they're, they're totally, uh, Peter, pre-product. They, 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 they have just an idea for what the product was that they wanted to offer to the marketplace. But they set up a webinar. They invited, got about 200 uh, people to show up. A lot of it driven by the fact that they got these influencers talking about them. And they said, here's what we envision this software to do for you. And if you're willing to prepay for it, it's a little bit like a Indiegogo or Kickstarter campaign. If you're willing to prepay a year of this, then you will have a 50% discount the rest of your life. Mm. And 20 customers uh, prepaid and gave them that startup capital that they did. So make the list and work it. Figure out the word or two you're going to own in the minds of the market. Then start focusing on setting very clear priorities, day, week, month, quarter, year, and get the customer to initially fund you. Yeah. You know, as I was listening to you, I, I remember the, a, a great um, revelation from Jim Collins when he was saying that as a young man, he really wanted to have uh, some influences in his life, like effectively one of the board of advisors, but he said, I didn't know anybody. And yeah. so what he would do was read great books and pretend that Peter Drucker was his advisor and he'd read something on, say, Jack Welch and Welch was his advisor. I think people need to believe that there are better ways of doing things to succeed and they have to go looking for them. And, you know, reading a book like yours, your many books, is a really good start. I think if people want a bit of success. Well, Peter, thank you. Well, Vern, great catching up with you. Um, when when will you be next? Well, obviously, we'd love you to come to Australia, but are you planning anything online to connect with um, the potential customers and the existing customers in Australia? Yeah, we do. You know, we in the pandemic, we end up offering a regular series of virtual summits. We end up hosting 18,000 people on those. So we've got one coming up October 21st, no charge. Um, and we've got Pat Lanchoni with his new book. Um, hoping I've got Liz Wiseman. I just put an invite out to her. She's got an outstanding new book, but we're featuring Ron Lovett in his new book. You know, it's a chance for you to kind of sample and hear from these top authors who I've curated some really important ideas on how to scale. Uh, and then we have our entire course online 24 seven pre-pandemic did well in the pandemic. So we're easily available virtually. Okay. Well, if you want to do another one of these ahead of the October 26th um, summit, I'm happy to talk to you. All right. You got it. Peter, thank you so much as always. Great to see you. Yes, yeah, same here, mate. Thanks for joining us. And I look forward to talking to you in the future. You bet. And that was Vern Harnish. If you want to know more about him, 
Just Google the name and a whole lot will come up. For any other information you'd like, always think about switzer.com.au. Read me every day. And if you need uh, help with your investing, have a look at the Switzer Report. Switzerreport.com.au. Thanks for joining me. Talk to you next week. Quentin time! Quentin time!